and welcome to another episode of ABC Angie's Book Club. I do love talking to authors because I just think they're amazing. The lady that I'm going to be talking to today, she is an author. She's also an entertainer. Her name is P.P. Arnold and her book Soul Survivor is available now. P.P. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Long time no hang out with you. I know, I know. It's been a while. I'm trying to, I was I've been trying to remember when exactly it the was. first time, PP, I was pregnant with my first daughter who's gonna be 24. Wow. I tell and you then, size, don't and then we bumped into that was her. in that was in Marylebone. That's right. Yeah, I remember that was in Marylebone. And then I talked with you. Where were you? I was at Magic. At Magic. That's the last time we talked. So how many years have that been? <laughs> and now here I am at Smooth, still talking to you. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely to see you. And, and this is people. fantastic. How long has your book club been? My, my book club has been around, well, I think from the time we met each other at Magic, but you know, then it got dormant and, and it, it kind of went through a little bit of a roller coaster effect. But I just said, you know what, there's too many great authors out there now. I've got to talk to them. I've got Aww. to talk to them. So when I heard about Soul Survivor, I just said, we've we got to get P.P. Arnold on. You see, for me, this book is it's about you surviving the soul music industry but it's also about your personal soul surviving quite a lot of trauma and it's the way that you're so open about a lot of the things that you've been through so let's try and solidify this if we can in 20 minutes i don't know how we're going to do this but you're very open, PP, about your marriage to David, which was quite abusive. Yeah, you know, I started uh, I started the book there because, uh, uh, yeah, that was like that was the beginning of my my life as a as a young woman. Yeah. You know, I was in this uh, abusive teen marriage. I got pregnant when I was, you know, 15. Young, yeah, yeah. And my father made me get married. And yeah, and it was a, and it was a tough time. And um, yeah, so I wanted to, the whole, you know, the book itself starts, my story starts with a prayer. Can we talk about this prayer? Yeah, we we my story talks about this prayer because I grew up in the church singing yes, uh, yes. gospel music, and um, when I got pregnant back then in in nineteen sixty, when when was it sixty two? My son it was early. It was early. Yeah, it's his birthday. I said to him, "It's my birthday too," because you don't remember the day. I remember it, <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, yeah, the prayer was, uh, I was in this marriage, in this uh, working, two jobs, two kids, and uh, Sunday was my day to like, you know, prepare for the week, all the washing and the ironing and the cooking and everything. 
And I was doing the laundry and I just said a prayer and I asked God to show me a way out. Oh my goodness, that line. And then it wasn't a way out immediately, but there was a knock on the door, wasn't there? There was a phone call. Okay, okay. There was a phone call an hour later that led to the knock on the door. Wow. In <laughs> the Cadillac. In the Cadillac you go. And then led to me an hour after that. So the phone call was an hour after the prayer. And an hour after that, I was in Icantina Turner's living room singing, dancing in the streets. Amazing. And yeah, it really was quite miraculous because I had mm. never, ever, it was never my ambition to be in the music industry. But never. having said that, and, and this is what I love about, you know, the survival of your soul, because like you said, it wasn't your intention, but God had a plan. Because there is even one part of the book where you say, you know, you're not, you didn't consider yourself that good a dancer. But to be an Iket, you had to be able to move and you moved. Well, I like to dance now because I'm from a family. I have uh, 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 four brothers and a sister. So we dance. I like to dance. <laughs> but I had never danced. I've never done anything professionally. It's just life, you know, mm. growing up in a family, brothers and sisters, church, singing. Doing, never had uh, singing lessons, you know. Wow. We just all opened up our mouths and sing. Everybody got their own harmony. It's just a gift. You know, absolutely. A, a absolutely. Yeah. You're very open about how warm Tina was. You're very open about the fact that Ike was quite strict. Um, and he he laid the law down, didn't he? If you were late, you were fined. If you sang out of tune, you were fined. You know, it was quite a regimental uh, group to be in. Yeah, it was. I think it uh, during that time, a lot of the band leaders that that's what they did. James Brown and Otis Redding and Joe Tex. That's how they sort of kept the musicians and kept the reviews in line. They used this system of uh, of fining. Yes. So you know, don't sing out of tune. <laughs> don't be late. <laughs> You know, no drinking. I mean, it was really strict. Yeah. Yeah. There's an area of the book, and I, I'm going to move, move it on from the marriage, because I think you you write so openly uh, about the marriage, and you write so openly about, you know, when you came from Ike and Tina's house first time, you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. But you still drew back on David to, you know, get his permission, get his approval through your parents, through your dad, to really make it as an I care. Because in your mind, this was a road to saving money, getting a house, and as David said, having a second chance at the marriage. But it didn't quite go as you'd planned in your mind and in your heart, did it? Well, no, you know, it, it, it it's like uh, coming home after, like, uh, disobeying my husband <laughs> and uh, taking Tina's advice because we did the audition and Tina goes, girls, you got the gig. And I let her know that I was only here to help my friends. I needed to go home. I was 
I should have been home two hours ago. My husband, I'm going to be in trouble. And uh, so Tina put the B in my body. She said, well, if you're going to get in trouble for nothing, you, know, you might as well come with us and go see the show tonight. <laughs> go to Fresno. This is like <laughs> 300 miles away. And that was a big decision for me to say yes, because I was a very obedient wife, you know, but it, it just, the day had kind of taken on a life of its own. And I was under Tina's spell, of course. And uh, yeah, so I thought, yeah, I never had any fun because I'd missed out on being a teenager. I didn't do anything. I was just this young girl, you know, laying in my heart bed and taking care of my babies and trying to make it all work. Yeah. Find a way to make it work. But you so, did. Uh, you did. Yeah. And, 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 and when I left home that day, it, I, I never imagined that I was going to, this was, I was on my way to being an ICAT, you absolutely. know. So, and, and from being an ICAT, the accolades that follow you afterwards in the music business, I mean, if we were to list them all, we would run out of time, but you've worked with some amazing Icons from Mick Jagger, the small faces, Eric Clapton, Rod Stewart. And even though you worked with these major icons, you still kept your identity. And that's what I think we admire so much about you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's true. But uh, I look at it like this, you know, like all of these, all of these icons as they are now, at the time, we were all just young kids. <laughs> you know, we were all young kids and this this industry, this whole, I came out of the uh, civil rights revolution into the rock and roll revolution in England. And these were the all the young acts that were like just starting out or like, well, the Stones were huge. They were already yeah. big and the Beatles, but the small faces and, Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart hadn't really made it at that time. He was like on his way to working with various bands and uh, Long John Baldry and and what, what, what was the other group that he was in? Shotgun or something? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't Shotgun. That, that, wasn't, that was wasn't Rod Stewart something to do with the faces or the small faces? Well, he was with the faces yeah. after the small faces. Yeah. With, is After it Steve Marriott left. Yeah. Now, see, Steve Marriott is the small faces. Okay. I don't really know the faces uh, that well. I mean, I know them because they, it was like half of them were from the small faces. And I knew Ronnie Wood. I knew them all and I knew Rod, but they became the faces afterwards. I never really followed the faces that much, you mm. know, because I, my relationship was with the small faces, with Steve Marriott. With, with the with the whole immediate uh, time, the, the, the beginning yeah. of immediate records and, and so all coming, coming from the States, coming out of civil rights, coming here to the UK and, you know, really entrenching yourself into the UK music industry, that must have been a task and a half. Did you find yourself coming up against any resistance as a black woman coming in from America? No, I, I mean, it was, it, it, I was really embraced 
actually, you know, I mean, I came over with Tina. We came to do a tour with the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the whole music scene here was just like, it was just happening. And everybody was really into the black music from America, you know? So like, I was this staying in England after coming over with Ike and Tina, I was like, everybody just embraced me. I was like Beautiful. the authentic thing that was <laughs> actually here in London now. And with Immediate Records, this great independent uh, record label with the small faces, you know, it was just the timing, it's just destiny. The time that I came through. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't really deal with the racism as uh, at, at that point, hmm. you know, at, at, but, it, but it was a difficult time for me because I had never lived in an integrated society. I came wow. from segregated America, you know, like, uh, so like, it, it was like, uh, so it was all new for me, a black woman in a white world. You know, and then I was hanging out with Mick Jagger, you know, like, that, sort of like th that was all taboo. You know, I just was came it, here. Was it, Mick, was it Mick's influence that made you stay long term in the UK? Do you want to? Well, it wasn't, his influence. It, it wasn't his influence. It, the, the fact that I, that, that meeting him influenced. Uh, Andrew Oldham, Immediate Records, they, they were, they, Mick was, Andrew Oldham <laughs> was the Stones manager and Mick and I were friends and we were just hanging out. And uh, I had sort of mentioned to Mick that I, that I was gonna leave the review when I went back to uh, the States because I had had a, really tough time with Ike while I was in London yeah. because he was not happy about me hanging out with Mick Jagger. I mean, everybody, just everybody thought he was shy, introverted Pat, you know, hanging out and having a ball and swinging London. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like the quiet one, you know, and, and, and hanging out with Mick Jagger. I was just having fun. Fun. Yes. It was Fun. And I was free for the first time in my life. I had gone from being with my husband to being in the Ivy Tina Turner Review, people telling you what to do. And then suddenly I was in England on my own. And I had been given this opportunity to be a solo artist in my own right that I'd never thought about. I didn't know how I was going to do anything. I knew nothing about the music industry. So I just came and I just put my faith in God. And I put my trust in Andrew Oldham. Yeah. <laughs> really? Opening your eyes there. Which, was, which, was, which, which worked well for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I like the eyes opening up there, BP. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it took a long time to really learn the industry because unless you have family or you have, I mean, how do you learn about yeah. the music industry? Especially mm -hmm. in those days. I mean, today, you know, you've got like all of the, all of the, the, the all the music shows and you have all the, all the kids' parents are supporting them. And, 
And it's like this whole industry thing now, whereas before for us, we were just like starting out. Nobody had a clue what was going to be happening with this new, uh, you know, rock and roll in with the records. I never yeah. even the thought of my people still wanting to hear my records 50 years later, you know, oh, and exciting. loving them. It, you know, it, it, it just... You know, the mind boggles. So let, let's talk about the first cut is the deepest. I can remember as a little girl listening to Rod Stewart play that. My parents had your one. It was, no, that's Peepee's tune. <laughs> and so, you know, you you worked for a while, like you say, with Rod. What made him record that? Because I kind of saw it as a, a tribute, a friendship to you. Well, it would have been nice if that was the case. <laughs> but actually, Rod and I, we never really, the only time that we worked together was uh, we hung out for a while, you know, but, uh, and and we were recording as a duet. Mick, uh, okay, Rod got a, a deal with Immediate, Mm -hmm. And they thought, Mick thought it would be a good idea to produce Rod and I as an Otis Redding, Carla Thomas-like duet. Yeah. Thing. So we did the tune Come Home Baby. Okay. That was never released. It was never released because the recording session did not go well. It okay. <laughs> ended up ending the my relationship with Rod, you know, really, it was it was awful. So really, when when Rod re recorded First Cut is the Deepest, I think he just kind of got his own back on me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> In some kind of way, you know, because we split up after that. The session was so you it's hard to, uh, I wanted that, that session is not described in the book. Right. I've actually spoken about it on the audio. Yeah. But they didn't write about that session in the book. It it just didn't go well. You know, when a when a um a male and a female are recording, you have to find the right key. Yeah. And so we had problems finding the right key. And every time we found the right key that was good for me, it wasn't good for him. <laughs> so then we change it, and then when I start sounding good in the new key. He wanted to change it again. <laughs> so really, he kind of messed up the session, which was really a drag because Mick was producing and we had like really like stellar musicians on that session and everything. And Mick just got really upset. And, you know, the the session ended. Let's cut. Let's cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Rod, you know, like after we split up and everything, so and when he recorded it in in ten years later, he had the hit and he got paid. Okay. <laughs> you know? That's another chapter. That's another That's a whole chapter. Another chapter. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about working with Eric Clapton. I'm calling Eric. these people icons, PP, but you are an icon as well. Let's not forget that. Well, you know, and and um, up, up, you should say that I, I got the most beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, message from Barry Gibb oh. recently, and you know, and because Barry, you know, I sent the book and everything, and he just like wrote back this 
this beautiful, and he was just like, I was humbled really because he spoke of me as an equal collaborator. collaborator. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just like I was, it's like I'm saying, we were all young kids back then. None of us really knew what was going on and where it was all going. You know, we were controlled by these management impresarios who like sort of like rule the industry at that time and and artists didn't know anything about business you know we just got on with the business of having fun and making music and you, know, you, so you, you came through and this is why you know when I when I look at the names that you have worked with when I do read some of the chapters in the book that aren't necessarily music related when I look at your life that's why I think the title soul survivor i see it as you surviving soul stroke rock music but also your soul surviving a lot of trauma a lot of negativity as a, a single mother in the industry just trying to pull it all through well absolutely and i take it back to uh when i first wrote the book i lost it uh, making a copy from Time Machine to a portable disc. Okay. So, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Yes, he does. So I had to rewrite the book again. So I had notes, and it's a good thing. It was my life. But the spirit, you know, was suggesting that I take it. If I'm going to, like, write about being a soul singer, I want to take the music back to the roots. I want to take it with gospel. I come from gospel, but where did that gospel music come from? So I thought, let me take it back to the plantation. Mm. So I took it all the way back to the plantation. And I wanted to, to let people talk about some of those songs. Yeah. Like yeah. help helped uh, my ancestors, you know, run away and get away. That, that is one thing I, I will say, and, I, and this is something I really did want to have a chat with you about. I, I noticed that we would talk about music, your love for music, but then we would have a chapter that would talk about your parents. And then we go back to the music and then the next chapter would be your parents and your grandparents. And it was almost as though you were setting this uh, tone, you were setting a platform that your soul was built on your ancestors survived, you are surviving, you are now the current yeah. whole survivor. And I found that really, really interesting to read. I mean, there was one of your, I think it was one of your great grandparents born in 1884 and you talked about them surviving. Bowser Hawkins. Okay, okay. That's my great granddaddy. Um, I knew nothing of great, great granddaddy. I knew nothing about him nothing about them but when i decided to to i i did a lot of ancestry work yeah when i decided to take it back so when i took it back there it's almost when i found mauser it was almost like mauser was like kind of like helped me get through the times you yes. know yeah. it, it's like uh i was getting that inspiration and and going through the ancestry, it just helped me to see because I thought that my family were from East Texas. Okay. But I found out through the ancestry that Mauser 
is actually from Alabama. So, okay. and that made sense to me because I have a lot of friends from Alabama and we always kind of like, Pearly Gates, for instance, is from oh Alabama. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And she always says that, girl, you, 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 you sound just like my sister. So we have a similar kind of thing, so. So yeah, so uh, I have to be careful because I go off. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but, but this is what but, I... But, but, but I just wanted to say this about yeah. the, the whole thing. So I wrote it in chronological order. Yeah. But I didn't want it to be like that. So I have to give um, the editor who I worked work with, uh, Mark, credit for for putting it together like that. Cause yes. I had that idea, but I didn't know exactly how to do it. But he, Mark Sinker, the editor, he just like really just put it together. There was a beautiful part that I love. We wanted to start with the music because we felt that like people may not be, people know me from the music. Right. And so we want to keep, wanted to keep that attention, how I got into the music industry where I come from, my roots, my family roots. And so we kept doing that, you, you know, the music back to the roots. But, but that's my, what I love. My, my father's side. And then back on your mother's side, that's my what I love. Side. So we have 1965 LA becoming an Iquette. Yeah. The next chapter, 1870, Ross County, Texas, the Benjamins and the Greys. And right. I felt... I, I at first I thought, whoa, this is I'm, I'm confused, but this is where I felt the building block of your soul. That's right. Really came through in the book. So we see how you were built by exactly. survivors, and you yourself as a survivor, and that's what I really loved about it. Oh, so I thank just you, say, Angie. Oh, you got it. <laughs> You, you got it in a nutshell. That's it. That's what I wanted to put across. And so even though we do have the icons of the music industry, of which you are one, so we've got the Tinas and we've got the Eric's and we've got the Rod Stewart's and, you know, and we've got the Mick Jaggers, but you talk about your soul surviving, having come back from a number of great previous soul survivors. That's correct. That's correct. Pete, your music has also been used in theater, Starlight Express, is it Once on This Island? So even though we talk about 1965 becoming an Iket, you're still current. Well, and the book only, this book only goes up to 1984. Okay. You know, so this book, I'm sitting backstage, getting ready to go on stage on roller skates yeah with starlight express after surviving those lost years of the 70s and losing my daughter and just completely being you know just i just thought everybody had forgotten about me do you, do you want to touch on your daughter do you want to touch on it well, yeah, you know, Debbie is a De Debbie is a part of me. I mean, her spirit is still strong and strong inspiration for me and my family daily. Yeah, yeah, we miss her, but she's she's alive. But does her spirit keep you going? I think her spirit definitely keeps me going. Sometimes I think 
How the hell am I still going at 75, Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> so Debbie still got to be, you know, yeah, she's definitely. Is there a second book in you? Because I, I know it, it's interesting because you this is the autobiography by you. This is the first that we've had it from P.P. Arnold. Is there a second book in you? Well, that's funny that you should uh, say that because, like, I've been writing, like, I, you know, I write all the time. But I've been thinking, like, now, you know, like, I've come back here. I'm back here in England, you know, after COVID, there's been like a recovering from all the stuff, the music stuff, the music business is kind of weird. It's kind of weird to be out touring like I'd like to be mm -hmm. touring. That can't really happen, but it's all about the book. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to put uh, show, shows together Good. where I'm actually like uh, combining the book with music and Q&A, you know, kind of do something special. Uh, with a small unit, maybe a three-piece band or something like Beautiful. the music thing. With, with, with the book. But I'm thinking here now, you know, with you know everything. It's like I'm. It's almost like I'm starting all over again. Everybody's starting again after absolutely. So uh, so uh, yeah. So I'm I'm just I'm I'm writing. I'm writing now. I think just I keep it. writing, but because I I like to stay busy. Yeah, I like to stay busy. So like, um, there's a lot going on with the book. It's great. All the it's just been received so warmly by, by you, all all of the press and and all of the journalists and and everybody. You know, I'm you know I'm humbled really mm. to. Uh, and I'm uh, sure Pinky, there are many many more stories from the first cut from angel of the morning so much touring and so much collaborations with so many artists i would like to say thank you so much for your time and let's not leave it so long next time yeah let's not leave it so long it's so lovely to see you and you know i'm so you've gone you've like just broadened out and <laughs> You know, Miss Angie Green. Yes, please. Soul Survivor. It's about her surviving the soul music industry, but it's also about what her soul was built on and the generations of survivors. PP, thank you so, so much. Um, thank you, Angie. Thank Bless you. you. See you soon.